What's up, everybody? How you doing? And welcome back to another episode of Living Life Intently. This is a Live Life Intense podcast. I'm your host, Lee Frazier. And uh, I'm going to make this real quick. I'm getting ready to hike over the highlands with a group uh, tomorrow morning. And I wanted to just get this one podcast out before uh, we head out in the AM. Uh, I finally tracked down my good friend, Dave Green. And if you haven't heard of Dave Green before, um, he is a guy that does some crazy, crazy expeditions. Um, his longest one being... I think it was 90 days. We discussed it in this podcast and uh, he became a good friend of mine over the last couple of years of meeting him through a mutual friend at one of our creative weekend. Uh, I guess it was more of a creative weekend party than than a promotional weekend, but uh, we hit it off and we've been constantly talking about doing something together and every time that we end up planning something, something happens within the scheduling and we're never able to make it. But um, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. This is episode number 21. And uh, yeah, I finally tracked him down and we talked about his entry into getting into the outdoors and what really drives him to do these bigger trips. But I'll let it speak for itself. Hope you guys enjoy. Let us know and we'll see you next week. Peace. So yeah, here we are, Dave. Hey, Lee. Thanks for having me in. Oh, this man. is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a fireside chat. That's what I feel like right now. Well, I am right next to a fireside. You Fire, abso- fireplace. Absolutely are, yeah. Does the thing work? Absolutely not. No? No. Never tried it? Never tried it, no. no? It's, it's cemented in. Cemented in. <laughs> These north end places, who knows? Who well, knows where it goes? Oh, I figured you would have tried it at some point. But uh, yeah, so we're here. We're in Halifax. I'm in Halifax getting ready, getting some gear ready for this weekend's trip. And uh, we finally, after like talking about doing this thing for a while, we finally sat down. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're here to talk a little bit of adventuring, maybe. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) I don't spend a lot of time here, to be honest with you. I pay pay rent here, but I'm probably gone at least least 100 nights a year. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. Just use it as home base. Pretty much. Summers to put a hat and shower and, and store some beer and get going. That's right. Yeah, there we go. It's all full of little memorabilia. And, and are you are you kind of like me where you've been collecting little things, like a lot of the things on the wall here, like these snowshoes? Do they have memories tied to them, or are they kind of just like finds that you found? No, most of these things do have memories tied to them. Yeah, I've been holding on to a lot of these things for a long time. Like this uh, canvas anorak you see over your left shoulder over there. It's, yeah. Uh, that was we made that actually. That's a homemade uh, canvas cotton canvas anorak from uh, a two a thirty day trip back in two thousand sixteen. It's crazy. Yeah, and you can also see my collection of dead things over here through the hallway. <laughs> yeah, for, for those listening, we're we're actually we're in Halifax. We're at Dave's place right now. So that's right. so I I narrowed him down to try to talk to him at his house. So um, that's the joys of having this little bit of a a mobile setup that I've I've kind of. That was kind of the whole plan of this podcast was to try to create this like cool little, I mean, there's a lot of wires running everywhere right now. I've got battery packs and my phone and headphones and whatever, but this is quite mobile for a unit. It's quite impressive. It is. So the whole plan for this thing was to, um, was to basically like be able to do this shit like on hikes or like, I'm going to bring this up in the Highlands this weekend. Oh, fantastic. And do one from the middle of a tent in the middle of the Cape Breton Highlands. Oh, great idea. It's going to be, well, I've been trying to do this for a year, but we'll get there. Something like that. It's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
give everybody a little start. Introduce yourself, um, and uh, and then we'll jump right into it. Hey, everybody. My name is Dave Green. I am a um, opera Canadian by birth, but not by choice. Moved out here to Nova Scotia, oh, two thousand three, and uh, kind of landed off the plane, got into Wolfville, and said to myself, "Boy, this is living. I ain't never going back to that place." And I've kind of been around here ever since. Um, work as a teacher these days, uh, so I pay the bills. Uh, work in early elementary uh, learning center, so with kids with disabilities and uh, primary one, two, so the really, really little kids. Yeah. But uh, that's 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 how we pay the bills. But uh, the passion really lies with going into the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I also run uh, two platforms: one Screener Adventures, and the other one is uh, Night of Adventure. Yeah. There we are. Yeah, that's why I end up was, you know, I think that was the first time that I actually kind of publicly put it out there that we were going to be doing the trip we did last winter to try to see if there's anybody, you know, if there's any interest at all in doing kind of as a as a business trying to put forth like a backcountry kind of like camping trip a little bit and yeah. more so in the winter. And, and it was like very surprising to actually see the amount of interest that, we had um last year um and i know i'm assuming by the lack of booties and the lack of basic winter camping items at mount okima co-op today right. that there's more much more of an interest in it much more of an interest and i would say that it's always been around nova scotia has a long-standing tradition of people traveling through the backcountry yeah uh we have as everybody knows we have thousands of kilometers of coastline but 99, 95% of the population of Nova Scotia lives within 10 kilometers of the coast, leaving this massive swath of space all through the interior of the province. Yeah. Whether you're down on the South Shore and the Yarmouth area, all the way up to Cape Breton, everywhere that's more than 10 kilometers from the coast is essentially empty and free to roam through. Yeah. And it's been something like I haven't really, that's, a, well, that's one thing that I noticed through the last couple of years is that I haven't really been down off Cape Breton Island. <laughs> at all like i mean i came we came down here when i was a kid uh with boy scouts to like dollar lake and i think we did kedgy but oh, yeah yeah i didn't really fully comprehend like how much of this province i haven't seen yet uh, until like this year and, and since after meeting you and noah and a lot of the guys that do a lot of the backcountry stuff here like, I didn't really fully comprehend how much stuff there was actually in Nova oh, Scotia. Oh, man, there's so much out there. The Nova Scotia Nature Trust and these other organizations have protected so much land. We have all these great wilderness areas. Yeah. And we all talk about, like, Kedji and the Cape Breton Highlands and, and the national parks that we have. But we have we all have these incredible wilderness areas that are they're undeveloped. There's no infrastructure in them. There's, there's nowhere to register that you're going into them. But they're these public lands that yeah. are free to roam through and they're just intertwined with amazing amazing canoe routes and snowshoeing routes and hiking routes yeah that's something that i've really got into down down here like growing up we didn't really because we grew up in in like the cape Breton highlands so there was there was a little bit of canoeing that we did on the river the marguerite but for the most part a lot of the stuff that we did was like backcountry like camping hiking up mountains over the over the plains over the barrens camping in different areas and finding waterfalls and as you know lee like you guys had space to roam when you were kids right you had, yeah and you've been living you've been up there all your life and you still haven't seen it all no and every time that you go out you discover something you discover 10 things new that you need to go back and and look at again yeah 100 percent. yeah just just every time you go out you find new things that you need to go back and and rediscover again, and again. yeah and i think that like what's and i mean i'm i'm, I'm uh, it's a fault of mine too is like the whole 
growth of social media kind of like playing a part in, in showcasing a lot of these areas and maybe like the fear is that too many people are going I put another beer there for you by the way thank you very you much one. yeah it's right there it's still cold but the fear is is that they'll be over traveled and, and the, there wouldn't be no way to manage it but I really think that you know there's so many different things out there that the more I talk to people about it and you know the more I talk to people that actually <clears throat> explore these areas and want to explore the more educated that they are on, you know, management and leave no trace. And it's interesting that you say this because I've had these conversations two or three times just in the last week talking about how what's the best way to serve or the best way to protect these wilderness areas. Yeah. And and the model that's been used down in the South Shore around the Tobiatic uh, wilderness area is, is to promote it and to make maps and, and to let people know that it's there. So that the more people that are using it, uh, the more people you have who care about it yeah. and the more people who will act upon themselves to promote it and take care of it, maintain the portage routes, maintain the waterways, who who will care for it. Yeah. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense, too. But a, lot, a lot of parallels to, like, fishing, in a sense, right? Yeah. So, like, your, your uh, what's not conservation, what's the, uh, the word I'm looking for? It's like, uh, oh, my God, it's eluding me right now. It's kind of it's stewardship. Yeah. yeah, stewardship, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, exactly. that's one of the big ones thrown around about fishing is that... People care about something, they'll protect it. Exactly. So I guess um, what, what you know, one of the questions that I don't even know if I even ever asked you this, but uh, I was always interested, and I am always interested, like where where I came from, I got introduced to being outdoor, outdoors quite a bit when I was a little kid, mostly because we were just surrounded by the highlands, but... Um, what kind of got you your start into? Did you grow up in a rural area in Ontario or no city? <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, grew, I, grew, I grew up in suburban hell. Oh, really? I did. I grew up in Markham, Ontario. There we go. One of the fastest growing cities in Canada. When I was a kid, there was 180,000 people there. Now there's 350,000 people there. So, what was the influence for you to uh, kind of explore and get outside the city? You want to know the truth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> It was my 16th birthday, so I was still technically 15 years old. And in, in these suburbs around Toronto, we have these little patches of forests. And uh, that's kind of where we would go hang out and have our little bush parties kind of thing. It's my 16th birthday. I could grow a beard at the time. So I was nominated by all my friends to be the one who walks into the beer store and uh, attempt to buy everybody beer. So I walk into the beer store and I walk straight to the only beer I knew. And it was Old Milwaukee because that's what my old man drank. So I walked straight over to it and I picked up three flats of tall boys and I walked up to the cashier and slapped down the 120 bucks and I walked out a living legend to all of my friends. But we walked into the close, closest patch of trees and we had a party and the party like carried on, right? Anyways, the cops show up, everybody scatters, uh, somebody had to get caught. It was this guy on my 16th birthday and got cuffed. I got taken home, dropped off to my parents and they were pissed. Uh, so about a month goes by and my mom says, Dave, you're going outward bound. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds great. Let's do it. So the next summer comes around, they ship me off for three weeks away, uh, in Northern Ontario to outward bound. And, uh, so is that a camp, like a kid's camp? Mm, yeah, it's kind of like a camp. Yeah. So is it like military camp? No, it wasn't like that. It's more like for troubled kids. Hmm. Not everybody. Certain population <laughs> that goes there are troubled kids. Yeah, okay, or okay. hanging with the wrong crowds. Yeah, and that was that was me. 
And uh, so I went on to this, this 21 day experience. We went on a 10 day canoe trip, seven day hike, did some community service, and some rock climbing. And when that was over, uh, I actually used that towards a high school credit and I got a really high mark on it. And it kind of just light bulb in my mind. I was just like, ping, wow, this is something that really resonates with me. And apparently I'm really good at, and I really like, and that was it. That was the beginning of it. That was, that was the beginning of the end right there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I don't think about this story very much anymore. I don't. I don't, I don't tell anybody the story. But uh, well, here we are. Well, here we are. Now everybody knows the truth. Now <laughs> don't worry about it. It's not syndicated like Joe Rogan. Fucking like five hundred million <laughs> podcasts. Probably like two hundred, three hundred people here. No, nah, it's a good honest story though. And then the next summer, I convinced my parents to let my buddy Matt, Matt, and I go on a canoe trip. And it was supposed to be a two night, three day canoe trip. And you know, I was the expert. I knew nothing, and I dislocated my shoulder. Oh, shit. Yeah, and I had to, like, my buddy had to evacuate me. It was a near disaster. And that was actually the biggest injury I've had to date on any trip. And uh, six weeks later, though, we went back with my buddy, convinced my parents again. It was still a good idea. And we went back, and we did the canoe trip. No injuries. And we had the time of our lives. And that was that was really the thing that solidified it in my mind. Like, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah. And is it like the being outside, kind of away from everywhere? It's like the, I was thinking about this this week, and this is kind of like the reason why... I like doing a lot of these things is because there's only one mission. One mission for that day is like stay alive, fuel your body, and sleep. That's pretty much it. Yep, that's there, right. Life becomes really, really simple. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was like. I was wondering why I'm like, you know, all this shit. Like every time I talk about doing a trip or doing anything big and you get on top of the mountain or wherever you're at and you're like, why in the fuck did I ever choose to do this? Yeah. And then afterwards you think, and I was thinking about it today and like that that's why because i enjoy that simplification of like life it's just about surviving it's just putting one foot in front of the nut one foot 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 <laughs> jesus i can't even talk i had one beer one foot in front of the other and that's it for the day yeah so, that's right but yeah so you gotta eat you gotta rest and and one thing that really has like resonated with me over the years is the feeling of being humbled by mother nature by putting myself into circumstances, whether that's running really big rapids in a canoe or skating over a frozen lake or or walking to a really exposed place in like a nor'easter or something. Yeah. It's the world around me can be chaotic, but yet I can stay really calm. And it makes me feel really small, insignificant and humbled by the world. And then when I come back to real life and I go to work, it makes work look really easy. Uh, it makes all my other stressors and things that happen in life look look like tiny and insignificant compared yeah. to uh, the big bad world, Mother Nature, that's out there. Yeah, it's kind of like putting yourself. It's like um, there's been this guy, and people are gonna roll their eyes when I say his name, but it, it, it was like one of the 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 things in over the last like two years when. I think I'd spoken this on a podcast recently or something like that, and I can't remember which one it was. But uh, so there's this uh, athlete um, or like ex seal, uh, David Goggins. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard. Yeah. So he is a thing within, and, and it's not like I really saw, I had a lot of connections with a lot of his message early on when he was like starting to become a thing on podcast circuits and stuff. And one of the things was something like this where he calls it like a uh, cookie jar. And it was something that I, I sure. reference all the time too because I could be in, you know, uh, summers where I was offshore and I would just think about all that shit that I went through on right. whatever trip. Right. I'm like, well, fuck, I made it through that. This is insignificant. Yeah, this is nothing compared yeah. to that. So it helps you break things down into like basically compartmentalize. Man, well, it gives you perspective too. Exactly. Right? Perspective. Yes. 
and what's important. What, what, what do I actually need? Yeah, so that that's been a big, big thing for me moving forward, and, and it can also be really. It can, I think it's highly addictive. Like in a sense, like you do something that's really hard, and you think to yourself, like, why have I put myself in this situation? And then you make it through, and then you, you come back to like normal life or society, and then it's like, well, oh, this seems boring. This is boring. <laughs> this is just straight up boring. I need, I need more. I need more. So then you create situations where you put yourself back into these. Exactly. Yeah. And then you wonder when you're in the middle of those things, like, why in the fuck did I put myself in this situation? That's right. Yeah, it's that type two fun, right? It's, <laughs> it's not fun at the time, but in hindsight, it's the best memories you ever it's had. Like, I'm never going to do this again. This is the worst thing. It's uh, like On the really long trips, like the canoe trips, all the sunny days, they all blend together. They all turn into one. We don't really have those memories. But in those downpours that you get caught when you left your rain jacket on the other side of the portage and... Those, and the thunder and lightning are coming down. Those are the things that really stay with you for a long time. Lessons learned <laughs> <laughs> the hard way. Uh, what was like, so moving forward from, from when you got your start, you then started to get into push your limits and started to get into in a bigger kind of expedition. So kind of where was, where was the point where you kind of like evolved into the bigger expeditions or was there a certain point in your life where you just kind of said i'm gonna go for I, I always just read these books of these explorers and voyagers and courier dubois and like canadian history i was just reading all these things in late high school and all through university just thinking like oh man how cool would it be to be able to like do these things and then uh in 2008 the first opportunity came up and i i was just searching i always i've always been in the habit of looking on the internet like so right now I'd look for 2021 canoe expeditions and see what people are doing. But this is in 2007. So I type in 2008 canoe expedition and the David Thompson Brigade comes up. And it's this really well-organized event that's happening that paralleled a canoe race that happened in 1967 in Canada. Okay. It was the centennial canoe race. But this was a bicentennial event uh, to commemorate David Thompson. Anyways. This turned out to be a 3,300-kilometer paddle from Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, all the way to Thunder Bay. And it was organized. So I just reached out to them, and I asked them, like, is there anywhere to – can I join? And I got taken under the wing by a guy named Don Galloway uh, from the Fort Saskatchewan Traders, Fort Saskatchewan, small town outside Edmonton. Okay. And he just picked me up and took me on, said, come on out, and uh, you can jump on the team, and uh, we're going to paddle across the country together. (laughs) <laughs> that was it. So I just I, I graduated. I hopped on a plane in Halifax. We flew out to Edmonton. Uh, got picked up by total strangers. Driven out to Rocky Mountain House. Hopped in a twenty five foot North canoe, and uh, we started. It, we just did it. And uh, sixty six days later, we rolled into Thunder Bay. How'd that feel? Oh, it was incredible. It was an amazing experience, right? And and that was one of those those things that like feed the addiction. It's like wow, this is the greatest feeling I've ever had. I wonder what I need to do to create more opportunities in my life yeah. to realize this more often. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where, and we were talking before this podcast, so that's kind of where a lot of these things that I was talking about, these trips and, and video projects and stuff kind of come into play now because I've, I've kind of figured, kind of tried to weasel my way into how can we be able to leverage what we're doing now as far as this business to be able to do all this stuff how can we find the opportunity within 
that genre as far as the adventure tourism sector to build a business that can fund me being able to or me and like a group of people or me and you or me and whoever uh, to be able to do all this stuff. That's right. And, it, and it's hard to do. It takes a lot of hustle to pull it off. Yeah. Like it took from 2008, it was not until 2011 that I did my next really long trip. It took three years to like dream it up, get the resources, the money, the time away from work. I ended up just quitting my job, but like <laughs> that's one way of doing it. That's how it went for years. <laughs> that's how it went all through my twenties. It was just get jobs, work, save up the money, come up with the plan, quit the job, get out of the rents. I never, I didn't own a, a couch or a bed or any of those like superficial items until yeah. I was, I was probably 30 years old until I bought a couch. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you would take the car insurance off the car and park it at my brother's house. Like, whatever you could do to make it as cheap as possible yeah. uh, is, is what we would do. In 2011, it was my longest trip to date. We did uh, 87 days from Georgian Bay, Ontario, all the way to the coast of Labrador. Fuck. Crazy. Yeah, and that was a multi-sport trip. So we were 30 days in a rowboat uh, going down the St. Lawrence to Quebec City. And then we had convinced friends to dro- drive out to Quebec City, pick up the rowboat, and drop off our bicycles. And then we were 21 days on our bicycles to Churchill Falls, Labrador, two weeks on the Churchill River, and then we got back on our bicycles, and then it just kept going. Yeah. <laughs> it just kept going. And, and that trip was on, like, a budget. We managed to do 87 days, including our flight home from Deer Lake, Newfoundland, uh, for $3,500. Each? Two people. No, for both of us. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, because we just used the boat we had. We used the bikes that we had. Uh, the the biggest expense was renting the canoe for the two weeks. What about food? Uh, food was cheap. I just looked at it the other day. We, we were paying $6 a day per person. What? Did you, how, what? how? Because we made all of our own. We just we went to Costco, and we just we found things for on sale, and we just processed it all and dehydrated it all ourselves. Fuck, crazy. Yeah, all of it. We just did it all. It was just at, the most expensive part was the flight home from Deer Lake by far. Wow. It was crazy. Crazy, but, but that's what like a grassroots kind of like passion can, yeah. can do. It doesn't take all the resources in the world. Like it was lost time at work. We didn't work for three months. Yeah, but we we thought of that beforehand. We weren't paying rent. We weren't paying car insurance. We didn't own anything or have to store anything anywhere either. So along the way, we made huge sacrifices in order to fulfill our dreams and and put ourselves into these situations that we really wanted to actually be in. Yeah. That's what I find really fascinating because like, um, it, it tr- trying to talk to somebody that doesn't, has never put themselves in that position. is very hard to make them figure out, like make them fully understand the mentality that you, you have to go into to do the tasks you want to do. So if you have a drive to do X, there are ways yeah. to get there. There's just, there's just tasks to hit along the way. That if you have the drive to do it, you can actually do it if you're willing. There's to There's always it. a way to do it, but you have to be willing to sacrifice. Exactly. Things. It's not going to be. It's not going to be perfect. It's yeah. not going to be clean. It's going to be super sloppy and messy. You're going to take two steps forwards and one step back. But like, and you have to sacrifice things that, you know. And then this wouldn't like comparisons to the people around you of like similar age. Like, oh well, these people are getting married. And these people are having kids, and these people are buying houses. It's like, yeah, well, I'm going to Labrador. I'm going to ride my bicycle there. <laughs> Right. And it's like, well, what do you want, though? You have to look inside yourself and be like, well, what do I want? Like, what, what's really important to me? Like when I become an old man, do I want to look back on my life and say, oh, yeah, I owned a house and had a kid and was married by the time I was 30? Or do I want to be able to say, like, 
You know, I did all these crazy badass things and I lived a really full life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it's 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 kind of like that's a lot of uh, people have that feeling that they want to do that, but they're not willing to sacrifice, sacrifice it. That's, that's right. the stuff that I found over the years because I was willing personally for my personal experience. You know, early on before I met you, I was in my 20s and I was doing uh, diving offshore and I had to sacrifice right. everything. I was never here. I was on a boat. I was on a plane. I was like in the middle of nowhere. I had two weeks, you know, two weeks and like six months that I was at home hanging out with family, friends. So you can't build a castle overnight. Like. Mm, no. Get no. on a plane. You, they call you. I remember being in Halifax. And the, the, the shortest period of time, I'd done three months in Egypt and I got back. Three months in Egypt, got back. I was at the Split Crow happy hour. <laughs> and I had a phone call or an email. Sorry, an email. And an email came in. I can't remember if it was an email or phone call. I can't remember now, back then. It couldn't have been an email. It might not be an email. It might have been a phone call. And they're like, can you get on a flight tomorrow? We need somebody over in like the UK or whatever. And I'm like, yep, bag's already packed. Send me to flights. <laughs> so I was hammered, left the Split Crow, went and got my bag, drove to the airport. Well, didn't drive, but I got a cab to the airport, got on a flight. And I remember getting on that flight and meeting <laughs> another guy from Halifax. And I was shark-eyed. I was so sideways. <laughs> and I was like, bud, I can't talk to you right now. Because he was on the crew that I was on heading overseas. And I just said... <laughs> I'm going to bed. I'll see you in London. Yeah. <laughs> Went to bed. But that was it. Yeah. It takes takes like a crazy sacrifice to get whatever you want. If you want that, uh, if you want whatever task. That's kind of where I like, I personally, I fall off with some people because it's trying to have that conversation with people about, you know, they want something, but they're not willing to sacrifice just a little bit, That's right. a little bit of comfort just to get what they want. And so, you, can, you can have it all. It's just not going to be tomorrow. And, and it might be 15 years down the road, but like... You have to compromise. Yeah. I'd rather have the stories, all the stories that I have now, than going down the main route that, you know, anybody else would have went to or, or most people would have went down. Yeah, or what we're told that we're supposed to do. Yeah. No society to, dictates that we're supposed to do. It's, all, it's all bullshit. Get a job. Buy it's a all house, bullshit. Get a family. It's all bullshit. <laughs> it's not linear like that. It's not actually how it works. Excuse me. I'm, and you I'm, look around. You look around at the people who are doing it, and it's like, are they actually happy? Are they actually, are they, are these the people who are looking at me, going, "Wow, damn, Dave, I wish I had done that too." You can. Well, they can't. That's you what can. I say. I'm like, it's don't. It's, it's not me. Don't put this on. <laughs> don't project this on me. Uh, out of all, out of all the trips that you've done. All the the big someday <laughs> trips. I'm just segueing into uh, sure. a, a question before I forget. I'm just thinking about it right now. Uh, we're talking about sacrifice and what is the not the craziest sacrifice, but what is the the the, the most suck the suckiest? The, not like the shittiest experience, but like what is the one trip that you've done that was the the most you had to deal with the most suck like most do you know, do you know, do you know, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? I know like, what you're that? saying. Like the most type two, type three fun. Uh, the hardest trip and the most memorable trip because of the hard factor was, in my mind, definitely our 2016 uh, Route Blanche trip. Um, now to explain a little bit more, that was a, a 29-day winter snowshoe trip in northern Quebec. Okay. Um, and I did that. I did five 30-plus day trips with my ex-wife. Okay. Yeah, she was my expedition partner. Fantastic person, amazing teammate, um, all-around solid tripper. Uh, and that was our last trip that we did together uh, because it was really stressful. It was a really hard thing to pull off. Yeah. We left on Valentine's Day and we from Halifax or Wolfville, and we got back 
uh, on St. Patrick's Day. So it was truly a winter trip. Fuck. Um, we owned a house at the time, and like we we sacrificed work and like mortgage payments and like a lot of these big boy adult things that added a significant amount of stress to our lives yeah. just because, not just, but because we wanted to go through with this trip idea. Okay. Yeah. Crazy. So it was, there was a lot of outside then outside influence and outside stressors than just the actual trip itself. And, and then, and then also the trip itself too. I mean, we were, we were 29 days snowshoeing nearly 400 kilometers through Northern Quebec in the winter time. Like it was, <laughs> and we were in a canvas tent with a wood stove. Jesus. We didn't bring any MSR stoves, no kind of gas backups of any kind with us. Uh, we were wearing like moose hide mucklucks with our canvas anoraks with traditional snowshoes. Uh, we did it as traditional as, as we could. So uh, how many kilometers a day were you doing on that trip? Not a lot. I mean, we were snowshoeing, so. And did you set up camp and stay in, like, spots for, like, more than one night? Or was it, like, pack up and go the next Rarely. Night? Rarely. We, we packed up most mornings and, and had to set up again Jesus. at night. And every time, excuse me, we had to set up at night, it was two hours to set up camp. Because we had to set up the tent. We had to pack the snow, set up the tent. Yeah. Go out, pro- get wood. We needed boughs. We needed green wood. We needed dry wood. We had to process it all. We had to saw it which means we had to saw it and then we had to split it and then you had to light the fire and then the process comes into you have to make dinner, you have to melt snow for water, yeah. you have to feed the dog. Fuck. You have to do all the things. And it was just, it was just a never-ending battle between the elements and us moving forwards. Yeah, it's crazy. It I just thought, went on and on and on and on. <laughs> I found it hard enough to try to get like fucking six guys to, to, yeah, get, yeah. to get camp set up and fast enough so that we can like cook dinner and go to bed. Right. Let, and that's with like, you know, nice old, you know, stoves. And, your three season tents and your, yeah, or your four season four tents, seasons. but like with aluminum poles and nylon and whatnot. Yeah, which were, were, were mayhem. We didn't even look how to set them up beforehand. Kind of <laughs> but they're not as easy as the summer ones, I'll put it that way. Well, I bet <laughs> if, if you had been out there for 30 days, you would have figured it out pretty well by day 21. It's Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting when you get in those situations. Like, I could only imagine how there's only a certain level like for, for specifically for me. So when I go out, I try to think of like how best I can streamline the entire process from packing up to going to finishing to setting up camp. How fast can I do that with the limit my exposure to X? And so I can only picture yep. the amount of like, you can only get to a certain level of that with the kit that you guys had on that trip. Right. Like there's, there's no way you can streamline it to be like five minutes, 10 minutes. No, especially taking down in the morning. I'll never forget how cold it was in the mornings. Like it could be minus 30 outside. And when, when the wood stove goes out, like the temperature drops to <laughs> minus 30, but you got to take things down and you got to be able to do it all with your mittens on. You got to be able to undo knots. You got to take the poles out. You got to pack up the stove. You got to be able to do it all fully dressed, freezing cold. So what did you guys have like as for sleeping bags? Did you guys have any like old school ones? Uh, no, I mean, we compromised on those types of things. So we would have, we would have had two sleeping bags each. Yeah. Like a minus 20 and a minus 10. And you put one inside the other. There was this one that my friend brought up, my friend Mac, who does a lot of these trips with me, and we've been yeah. doing these trips since we were little kids. Um, <clears throat> there was a, uh, a company, and I'm trying to remember the name of their, the, the company, um, 
Like one of their sleep meds called the Bison. The other ones, oh, fuck, I'm trying to remember that. I have it bookmarked on my my computer, but it is like a minus. They have a minus fifty called okay. the Bison. Yeah, Jesus, it's an American company, small company, yep. but they're like you know two thousand dollars sleep meds. But this is the types of trips you're doing. It might be worth your money to invest Dude, in. Dude, it's like a Gore-Tex shell. Fucking down sleeping bag. You could in any in an emergency situation, you could pull out your sleeping bag, lay down on the snow, and have a nap. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's like a built-in bivy bag. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was like the, their promo picture on their website is the bag floating on the lake. <laughs> wow, I want that bag. So do I, but it's yeah. expensive. Fucking two thousand dollars sleeping bag. But that's right. And yeah. there's some of the compromises you make, right? When exactly. you're going, doing all the planning process and you're figuring all these things out, it's like, well, we could use the gear you got. Or you can. This is this is our budget. Like, yeah, it's one of the things that we were like. We we recently, well, we I recently started like a kind of like a, a blog and vlog thing because like a lot of the questions that I've got through the years have been like basics for like camping and stuff. But one of the biggest things that that I've been always like hammering through people's heads is is like gear. As far as like when you buy gear and you plan gear and you bring gear on certain hikes, especially being winter, as long as it is like the proper gear, you don't really have to spend. Like a fucking arm and a leg, like no. these sleep bags, right? So I don't no. have to spend two thousand dollars on sleep. I want no. to because I want that motherfucking crazy Certainly. sleep bag. Of I love it. Yeah. But you know, we were kids, and I was looking at pictures of us and 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 when my dad ran Boy Scouts when I was a kid, and yeah. we're wearing fucking Reebok pumps, <laughs> <laughs> hiking fucking five day hiking trips and Reebok pumps and a shitty aluminum frame fucking backpack. Yep. which is the worst for your back. Like yep. found out years later, but it takes it takes years to amass the the gear and all the things. It's, it's a slow process. Yeah, yeah. But you don't have to go out and spend all your money on the expensive things. You really don't. You can just make it work with the stuff that you have, and then replace one piece of gear at a time. And if you're really into it, and you really want to keep going with it and grow and do bigger and longer trips, like. The gear will come. It's slow process, but it will all come. What's funny is like going to places in the summertime, like Paul's Cove, and uh, and we go in there, and it's you know you've got like <clears throat> I walk in and and like I'm with friends of mine, and I mean one of my friends goes in barefoot, like hikes the whole trail with a backpack on his back barefoot. Really? <laughs> oh, dude, he's ridiculous. So we're going in. You know, wearing bloodstones and like no hiking boots, and when I yeah. get in the cove, I'm just like you know t-shirt. And everybody is just flip flops and barefoot and running around and <laughs> like laying on the ground and sleeping under the stars. And and then you've got all these the, a lot of people that come in there with like the top. I mean, there's must be like three thousand, four thousand dollars. Yep. A campsite with by the time you buy your bag, Arcteryx bag, and yep. North Face tent, and like sleeping bag, thermorest, stove, yeah. pods. Yeah. It gets it does get expensive, but but uh, but yeah, all that stuff. There's so many different things that have come out, and there's always constantly new innovations and stuff like that too. So that's why when you talk about like trips like that where you're doing it all old school, it's like it adds a whole other level of. Sorry, what of, did what did Einstein say? Necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe I don't know if he's the guy that said it, but so, it? somebody did. Somebody that was a really good it. saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what did you on that hike? What did you guys do for uh, for food? On the same deal? Uh, same deal. Yeah, we made it all ourselves. Make it at home and then dehydrate it. So have you done a lot of that? Uh, you, I'm assuming. I do it for it. all the trips. Yeah, so I work on like, and I, I've based off my food off of like uh, by following like Antarctic style trips. Okay. Where I base my food off of calorie counts for the day. Yes. So for example, if it's chili for dinner, I will get all the ingredients I think I need for chili. 
I'll look at the labels and I'll figure out how many calories and are in every single ingredient that I put into the pot. Yep. And I'll come up with like a mass number and say it's 20,000 calories in there. And I'll divide that number by how many meals I need to get out of it. And I'll keep adding ingredients until I get to that magic number. Say 30, say it's a thousand calories per person per meal. Okay. And then I'll cook it and then I'll dehydrate it. And then once it's dehydrated, I weigh it and then I divide it by how many meals I need, like rations per person okay. per day. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll take that ration and if it's two people on the trip, I'll times it by two and I'll throw that into a bag. And then I know that bag has 2,000 calories in it. Interesting because I just recently got uh, like Ali, uh, my girlfriend bought me, I am dehydrated for Christmas. And so that's kind of like the play. I haven't had it out yet. I just, I meant to, and I had so much time to do it for this trip this weekend, but it's I just, I know it's a whole thing. Do you, do you, yeah. So I was, I was going to do it, but I'm, I'm going to start looking in because we usually do, like I contacted a company at a Montreal called Happy Yak, and that's kind of the ones that I just order bulk from them, yep. uh, wholesale, and then I just put an order in, and I get it, and that's kind of, I just grab and go, and yep. it's done. I don't have to think about it, but... I recently interviewed a woman, uh, Milan Paquette, rode across the North Atlantic Ocean, Okay, yeah. and she ate Happy Yak all the way across. No shit. Yep. Did they sponsor it, or did she buy it? Uh, they gave it to her. Oh, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She also rode across the North Atlantic Ocean. Exactly. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're, uh, they're as far as like they're Canadian. So they're from Quebec, uh, the, the Montreal, Quebec, yep. wherever. Uh, uh, Canadian company. And uh, yeah, very, my, one of my favorites. They're a little more pricey, but, but yeah, I got the dehydrator. So that's kind of like, I'll probably ask you questions about that too, about recipes. What's your go-to? Uh, my go-to taco surprise. Taco surprise. Taco surprise is my favorite meal, and and most people's who I go tripping with their favorite meal as well. Is it just like the generic like uh, taco mix, or do you make your own? You like, make your own. It's, it's everything that you'd put into tacos, thrown in, thrown into one pot, and then dehydrated. There we go. Plus, and then plus your tortillas. Oh, you bring tortillas on top of that. Oh yeah. Oh, interesting. And cheese. So I was eating this happy act that was called the uh, rice bean salad or something or fucking something bean oh, and rice. That sounds salad. delicious. So it's kind of bland, but uh, I actually read the instructions on the back. And okay. Yeah, you're supposed to add, it's supposed to be like a, a cold <laughs> salad with salad dressing on top of it. Best served with salad dressing. So uh, I was wondering why it was very flat. With so it needed more salt. <laughs> well, a lot more salt. A lot more salt. They do a pad thai. So the pad thai is by far my favorite out of that company. 100% pad thai. Will recommend. And it's it comes in a little like um, um, craft uh, peanut butter packet. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. scoop it out, put it in, and right, right. mix it all up. Fucking yeah. amazing. It's good. I don't even know if it has peanuts in it. I think it's like a, a vegetarian <laughs> pad thai. Other than that peanut thing. There's no meat in peanut butter either. No. I may have just said, no, never mind. Let's get that. <laughs> delete that section. <laughs> delete that. Delete that section. But so This is how it goes, though. So then, like, you started Outward Bound, and then you progressed to canoeing across Canada, and then it's, well, I want something more. So what, what's harder than summer than winter? So then you do a really long winter trip. Um, and, and then from there, like, it kind of progresses, right? So, like, I obviously have a strong interest in storytelling and hearing other people's stories yes. who, all, who are also motivated uh, to go out and put themselves into these these situations. Um, so from, from that passion, 
actually eight years ago, I started a platform called Night of Adventure. Yeah, crazy. Eight. Eight years ago, I know. <laughs> I know. The first event, there was nine people there. And it was, it was really just from looking around and going to the Banff Mountain Film Festival and seeing TED Talks exploding at the time. I was like, wow, there's really a market here for this. People really, really just want to hear these stories. I'm like, then I'm just going to start this. I'm just going to start Night of Adventure and I'm going to start finding local enthusiasts who've done badass things, invite them in and give them an opportunity to share their stories. Because oftentimes these people go, they spend they spend years organizing these trips, yeah. dreaming them up, and then it takes months to actually execute. And then they come back from the trips, and people, there's the two scenarios. People will say to them, "How was the trip?" Oh, it's great, great, Paul. It was great, Paul. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for asking. And that's the answer they're looking for. It was great. Thanks for asking. And that's it. That's all they ever get to say. And then if somebody really wants to know, it's like, well, you're going to need a beer and we're going to need an hour and a half. You're going to need to sit down. And I really want to tell you the story. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I created the platform for people to be able to come in. Uh, I give them a certain amount of time and they can share their stories through pictures and videos, however they feel most comfortable doing it. Yep. But it gives them an opportunity to invite their friends and family in and therefore they can share their stories. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking about this, you know, we were talking about it before and you're talking about it now and wondering where you were mentioning before where where this thing could go and wh- what, what you know, you've been doing it for eight years. I didn't realize it was eight years. I thought maybe it was four. No, no, I know. It's fucking crazy. It's crazy. And I've done, I've done 37 events now and there's been a, at least 50 or 60 presenters over the years. And it's, it's remarkably easy to find these people because, well, generally... I've only had a handful of people say no. Most people want to tell their stories. And yeah. it's not even really an ego thing. They just just want an opportunity to express themselves. Um, and you would be, you'd be blown away by the things that just everyday Joes or Josephines around us <laughs> have, have done. Like just You just never know what the person next to you on the bus or on the train or in the plane ha- has done. Like, yeah. Like maybe they've biked across Canada or maybe they've circumnavigated some island in their sea kayak, like Newfoundland or like, you just never know what people have actually done in their spare time. It's, it's just mind blowing what just people all around us all the time have, have just done. It's crazy. So uh, the next level of that, what about doing, you're talking about BAMF festival. Why don't you do like a net adventure like music no music festival jesus christ well maybe music festival sure. no Could but i mean net of adventure kind of like film because uh, there's so many that that's the that's the next gen of, of people coming in now is like everybody's focused on um enough not everybody is focused but there's so many people that are focused on film like documenting not everybody there's there's just as many or more people out there doing badass things who are not documented and don't care about social media. Oh, yes, yes. And they're doing it strictly for their own purposes. Yes. And they don't share the stories. Um, but, Lee, you're absolutely right. And this, I would love to see Night of Adventure grow into like a film festival type thing. Uh, like, it, like Banff started in Banff, Alberta. Why can't Night of Adventure start, start here and grow into a speaker series that happens and different cities across the country and why why can't we develop a film festival based around uh adventures or expeditions here here in nova scotia exactly i mean what yeah not to say that i didn't want to say like everybody but like there is a a good growing market of young people that are getting into it that are documenting and building youtube videos mini documentaries mini series all that sort of stuff so let's like 
trying to build, maybe build out a <clears throat> maybe an annual event, same like an annual event that's like a speaker or video kind of series that you could host and take it that showcases you know, people's stories. Fuck, you could even do it. You can you can even do it like go to Cabot Shores or go to fucking live life I mean, intense. Yeah, you could go to my place, but you camping. <laughs> I was thinking more of like indoors place with facilities that has like. Well, we could stream it from the shipping container, but you want the really big screen, right? It's really empowering to be able to stand up at a theater and have a thirty by forty foot screen behind you showing your pictures and your videos. It would just be just cool. as like an amateur person who's just like did it out of a passion in your basement, yeah. And then to be able to stand in front of a forty foot screen and show your family these amazing images that you captured from the land. Yeah, and it could be more of like whereas Banff has become more of a. More of not a grassroots thing, but more of a larger, larger businesses, larger companies, larger production companies getting into that film market. This okay. could be a grassroots fucking grassroots festival where it's the people underneath that, the aspiring people that want to be that, but they don't have a platform to share their share their story with and share or share their story with and network with like-minded individuals that want to do the same thing. That's absolutely right. And within the community that we have already here in Nova Scotia, just within our circle of friends, even. Uh, we, we could take the content that we've all created, put it together, and put together an incredible three hours of programming. Oh, easy. 100%. Easy. It'd and then easy. a big party afterwards, dance party. It'd blow people's minds yeah. with all the music that you're talking about. Yeah, dance party. Yeah. Big dance party. Yeah. Nice, nice big, nice rave dance party. <laughs> In the shipping <laughs> container. <laughs> At Peter's In, place. In the old Live Life Intense shipping container, as it always happens, on the deck. Lights going, two in the morning, neighbors, cops called. No, the cops never call them joking folks. <laughs> it's Marguerite. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that was a good one, man. Yeah. I that mean, and, and then for here, I just put in a little plug. Like, I, uh, I feel like I've been doing amateur adventures. Even though they are really big adventures, I feel like they've been amateur up to this point. And I would really, really like to step up my game and move to the professional level in my mind. This is, yeah, I just yeah, but how, call like, it that. So what would you consider the professional level? I really, really want to row across the Atlantic Ocean, okay, and I really one. want to ski to the South Pole. That would be cool as fuck. And I think I could take an Atlantic row as a platform and get the fundraising and the sponsorships and all the big ticket items to stage an even bigger expedition like uh, South Pole Ski. Crazy. Yeah. And these are big ticket items. So when I say amateur, I mean like... When we paddled across Labrador two summers ago, that whole trip cost us $10,000, which sounds like a lot of money, but there's four of us, $2,500 each to go on a 35-day canoe trip. That's a pretty cheap vacation. Yeah. But when I'm talking about ocean rows or skiing to the South Pole, these are $100,000 trips, and I just don't have that kind of coin. So that's the difference between an amateur trip and a professional trip. Yeah. And it's all in, in persuasion and, and, you know, building up to that too. So that's kind of exactly. what, what I'm like as far as like our business and what we're trying to do with like what I was mentioning before with like film and stuff. So like we did a documentary last year, but what I'm trying to do is build out a larger form platform where we can partner with other businesses. It's the same, same deal, right? Exactly. But we're looking to do the jump up to the next level where we can sell it to do like, you know, sell partner companies. So if anybody, anybody's listening, <laughs> let us know. And Dave wants to know too. That's right. We but yeah, know. let's partner up. But we want to, yeah, be able to figure out how we can pitch it because you've really got to just offer what you're offering is inspiration and you're offering to use X companies, word name gear whatever to then inspire other people to use that gear so that's kind of like what we're trying to figure out man it's like a, a juggling because i don't come from that that 
That's right. Neither that do world. I. So I'm just trying to figure out how to maneuver myself and leverage what I've done so far to be able to find those companies that we can work with that have the same yep. concepts and same, you know, perspectives on things. And then we can offer them, you know, more of a position here in the East Coast. And then we can be able to do all this fun shit. That's right. And just like we started off this conversation, you can't build a castle overnight. Like you need to like, it's called scaffold teaching. We call it scaffold learning. Like you got to learn one thing in order to learn the next thing. You can't learn multiplication if you don't know how to add. Like, it's the same thing with growing a small business or, or doing long expeditions. Like, you got to learn how to camp first before you take on a 30-day trip. <laughs> you got to start as a small <laughs> grassroots business before you make it into a bigger thing. If you want to turn amateur whatever, business, amateur sport, amateur tripping into professional, like, it, it all needs to be worked together. And it takes, it takes time. It takes sacrifice. And it takes passion. You got to really, really want it. And it's got to be, and you got to want it not for, for other people or to compare yourself to other people. You got to intrinsically want it yourself. Exactly. That's a good top. Good, yeah. good way to end this. Yeah. So go <laughs> check out. Uh, yeah. Night of Adventure uh, is on all the things. We got website. We got Instagram. We got uh, yeah. Got the things. Greener Adventures out there. But that's really just me. It's just my thing, but Night of Adventure. Go follow Night of Adventure. Yeah, that's where that, I want to see grow. That Go that's, see Dave. That's my scaffolding. <laughs> yeah, the next big step's Night of Adventure. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for letting me sit down. We did. We did a good little quick. I think there's a lot of a lot of good nuggets in that one. I appreciate the time. It's great. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we're uh, we're out. We'll. Uh, I'm out to hike the Highlands, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Peace. Peace.